Welcome to another East Career Podcast, brought to you by the East Career Development Committee. My name is Rob Bame from the Guthrie Clinic in Sarah, Pennsylvania. In this session, we are pleased to have Dr. Jose Diaz with us to talk about elective surgical niches and how they can be incorporated into a young acute care surgeon's practice. Dr. Diaz is a professor of surgery, vice chair of quality and safety in the Department of Surgery, chief of acute care surgery and program director of the Acute Care Surgery Fellowship at the University of Maryland Shock Trauma Center in Baltimore. Dr. Diaz graduated from the University of Texas Medical School in Houston and completed his general surgery training at Huron Cleveland Clinic Foundation Health Systems in Cleveland, Ohio. He subsequently completed his Trauma and Surgical Critical Care Fellowship at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee. He started his academic career at Vanderbilt, where he became the director of the Emergency General Surgery Service. He rose to the rank of associate professor and in 2011 was recruited to the University of Maryland Shock Trauma Center to be the chief of acute care surgery. So good afternoon, Dr. Diaz. And again, thank you so much for taking time to join us. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for the invitation. So to start out, I'd like to make sure that all of our listeners are really on the same page regarding this topic. So if you would mind, just define, describe what an elective surgical niche is. An elective surgical niche, at least in my opinion, is an area that you have developed a degree of expertise and an area of comfort that uh, you feel you've continued to develop. Number one, your surgical skill set. Uh, you have added to your uh, knowledge base and maybe even contributed to the literature, that is, if you're in an academic field. And it's an area where you feel most comfortable teaching someone else. I think that becomes your area of niche, whether that be surgery, whether that be a particular disease process, uh, whether it be a particular patient population that you're interested in. All right, perfect. So I'd like to... Spend a few minutes, if you can, just to start off by talking about your surgical niche or niches. So what niche or niches have you created for yourself throughout your career? Uh, well, I think I can uh, – they end up being several, and they're all kind of based on, you know, where your job happens to be. And when I started my career, I was a young trauma acute care surgeon, and this is obviously before the era of the term acute care surgery – where I was the trauma guy and I did some occasional general surgery because I thought that that was important for my own personal development. Uh, and there was clearly a need in the early uh, part of the last decade in the late 1990s of how to manage all these open adamants that we keep kept creating. Uh, and so with uh, expertise in general surgery, or at least an interest in general surgery and elective surgery, that ended up becoming my initial niche of managing the complex open abdomen, getting the abdomen closed, and then the complications associated with the open abdomen of intra-atmospheric fistulas, and then learning all the various different things about uh, complex hernia repair at the time. This is probably at the era where the component separation concept was just barely coming over to the realm of the non-plastic surgeon. That it, at least, at least in, during that uh, time period, had remained part of the armamentarium of the plastic surgeon and not so much the general surgeon. Okay. And so you kind of found yourself in this niche because you saw a need. 
it wasn't necessarily a particular interest in it, but you saw a need for it and kind of started to fulfill that need. That makes that sound right? Yeah, I mean, the, the other is the fact that uh, as a young person in, in the group at the time, you know, we admitted some patients and you got to sign, uh, you know, this the area that uh, you need to address. Uh, and then no one else had an interest. And, you know, I knew that those operations took a little bit of time. There was a lot of uh, operating and dissecting and seemed like a pretty straightforward general surgical thing, fix hernias, fix fistulas. Right, patients post, uh, and it was elective. And okay. uh, I didn't have to necessarily uh, go out and, and recruit these patients. We kind of made them our own. You know, we those patients that survive open adamants, you know, we would discharge with planned ventral hernias. We kind of had an automatic referral group. And then I think that uh, and during that time period, you know, there was uh, I had the level of interest uh, that I could continue working on that little niche. So when it came to uh, developing the niche kind of for yourself, you had your own self-referral, apparently, within your group, it sounds like, and then that just it just kind of started feeding into you became the open admin guy in your in your group? Yeah, and, and then the other thing in, in academics, what you need to do is you continue to ask questions. So, you know, you... As a young surgeon, the, your your actual experience is rather limited. I mean, you your experience is all based on what you learn in residency, and you quickly learn that everything you learn in residency isn't actually true, or may not always work. And so you have to keep uh, an inquisitive mind in terms of how can how what can you do next to make things better. And so that was kind of the start of my academic career. Is you know what can I do in this particular patient population uh, compared to what we were doing then to make things better. So my first experiences were back in the era of tension-free mesh repair. And so we put in a bunch of big meshes and tension-free and either they got infected or patients came back with hernias. And so that was kind of the appreciation that at least in this patient population, that wasn't such a great idea. <laughs> and uh, from there, you know, we started developing other options going to other fields in surgery and asking questions about, you know, what are what else should we be doing as opposed to putting in the standard one-foot-by-two-foot piece of polypropylene mesh. Uh, and the, from there, that's the era of where the component separation concept came along. Okay. So it sounds like you uh, saw this problem. He had a nice patient referral, but beyond just the operations, you were going out seeking your doing research and trying to improve on a problem, and that helped define yourself in this niche. That's on a boat, right? Yeah, and then uh, all you need to do is start, you know, publishing one or two of your series and your successes and your failures. I think are always helpful, and then that is a bit of self-promotion. And now, sure. not only do you take care of these patients and manage your complications, but you actually write about them. And that's a, a good way to start uh, a niche in a particular area. All right. So it sounds like this has been kind of a big part, and it sounds like it's been an important part of your practice and your career as an acute care surgeon, would you say? Yeah. I think we've continued, or at least I've continued, to focus on the open abdomen and the issues related to that, both uh, during my time at uh, Vanderbilt as well as our experience here at the University of Maryland continue to focus on 
you know, panadamin because the the technique continues to be used. Uh, the the resuscitation techniques change, the patients change, the common injury patterns change, and even the emergency surgery indications continue to change. But it's still a technique that's commonly used, and so right. the the iterations of that uh, change. Right. So when I was a resident, I never really considered that an elective surgical niche would be part of my practice. It was mostly because I just didn't really understand what a niche was in my training. And so I'm hoping our conversation can help residents and fellows, maybe even uh, young surgeons, think about their ultimate career goals and how and if a niche can be part of their practice. So to start off that part, I was wondering if you could would mind just telling us a little, about, a little bit about the elective surgical niches that are commonly filled by acute care surgeons. Well, a lot of them are all based on what are the diseases, common diseases that you have at your institution. Uh, I've had colleagues that um, are all fellowship trained. They do trauma and emergency surgery and critical care. But one of the needs that uh, may occur at uh, that institution was that they needed uh, someone who is skilled at minimally invasive surgery. Uh, and I've had colleagues who are bariatric surgeons do upper foregut minimally invasive surgery, others who do primarily colorectal surgery and elective endoscopic procedures, uh, including of, of uh, survey EGD as well as colonoscopy and become uh, the local endoscopist for their group in addition to taking trauma colon, what have you. Uh, you know, it is actually interesting what has happened since my arrival here. We have a large patient population of acute pancreatitis patients. And I have huh. become, over the course of the last seven years, more of a hepatobiliary surgeon for acute pancreatitis and chronic pancreatic disease than I ha was previously. Uh, and is all partly due to the fact of our patient population that we have. So you weren't seeking out the final new niche. You kind of fell into another new niche? Uh, basically. I mean, uh, really yeah. more taking care of that patient population. And then, again, you you know, you know, focus your surgical skills. You make sure that uh, you are meeting the care of the patients based on the literature. You start asking questions, and then you start writing about it uh, and continue to develop the, the interest in that particular area. And so, I mean, it, it is great if you want to go and do liver resections and you want to uh, have that level of expertise, but if you go to a place and they either one, won't let you, or two, there aren't any liver resections, so you're not going to be all that good at that. Right. Uh, so, same thing in critical care. So, I have had fellows who have a major interest in uh, traumatic brain injury. Uh, but if you get a job where it's primarily uh, not a whole lot of blunt, a more penetrating, where maybe there isn't a neurocritical care unit, uh, you may not be able to uh, develop that particular skill. So it, it does have a lot to do with your local environment uh, and right, whether so or not the practice there will allow you to have that. So a resident coming out of training into a fellowship, gosh, they might not... Um, they may have one interest going into fellowship, but they may not have opportunities to learn stuff in that fellowship based on where they are, it sounds like. That is, is uh, very much a real scenario. Right. 
I mean, it so is, person, uh, you could end up going to and doing ECMO right. as part of your fellowship training. And you may end up getting a job where there is no ECMO or the ECMO is all managed by somebody else. Okay. So, gosh, well, I guess it kind of, uh, kind of bridges me to a question about um, a resident or even a fellow, if they, if they have an idea of a niche. Um, what point should they start thinking about developing this niche? Is there, I mean, is residency too early? It's really kind of sounds like it's a, a a continuum of time when you're developing these niches. Well, I think that the, definitely, I think residency may be a little, uh, unless you're going to decide that your niche is vascular surgery or cardiac surgery and you're going to go do a fellowship in that particular area, uh, but as far as, you know, if, if you want to develop that niche early in your general surgical career, that may be a little bit early because <clears throat> uh, you never know where you're going to get a job. I think that the uh, the keys, and from the perspective, having some degree of uh, understanding what that what it means to develop a niche and how do you develop one and how do you look for one, because sometimes they just kind of fall in your lap. You don't realize it, but then you may be on call and you pick up uh, a particular patient with a specific disease process. And as luck has it, maybe they come in threes, and the next thing you know, you've had the last three cases of uh, uh, a particular problem. And the next thing you know, you now have a little bit of expertise just by being there at the right place at the right time. And now you're the one that gets asked, you know, what should we do with this particular problem? Because uh, not only, you know, do you have that clinical experience and you have some degree of hopefully some hindsight uh, in terms of uh, how to best manage a particular problem. Uh, and you, you may be that you may not be all that excited about this particular problem that uh, has landed in your lab. Uh, but uh, typically things happen to individuals that uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it destiny or karma, but, you know, sometimes things happen like that. Next thing you know, you're writing about your last 100 series. Right. Right. So if a person, uh, so gosh, say a resident is really wants to do the open atom in the complex ventral hernia repairs like you're doing, and they're going to, they're going to a, a fellowship program, um you, can they can they expect enough exposure in certain areas uh during a fellowship or should they be actively seeking extra training like like if say they come to shock trauma and you're there should they be doing some electives with you or maybe seeking out some uh courses external from the fellowship if they really want to get good at this uh open abdomen ma- management or can they can they expect an adequate training with their uh fellowship alone? Well, it, it obviously depends on what your local training has been. Uh, so most of the fellows here uh, and many other large uh, busy community or uh, academic trauma centers have some degree of expertise in the open atom and management. And the acute management is just as complicated as the elective uh, abdominal reconstruction component. <clears throat> I think that the, the uh, things that you take away from your fellowship uh, or the 
learn how to continuously learn, maybe some very, very specific techniques for maybe some of the senior surgeons at that particular institution. Uh, but uh, even today, I still go and try to pick up information that is new, new techniques. Uh, I mean that the TARS procedure and the RIF-STOPA technique for complex abdominal wall reconstruction was not around in the year 1998 when I finished my general surgery residency. Uh, as well as the concept of, uh, you know, perforator preservation or endoscopic component separation release. I mean, all these techniques came along afterwards. So uh, continuously educating yourself, even if it is an area where it seems like we've been doing it for years, uh, there's always opportunity to advance. Right. So if a person's coming to fellowship and they they want to find a niche, like you're saying, sometimes they just fall into your lap. Uh, other times we have some pretty well-defined niches. Are there any uh, gaps that you see in acute care surgery or general surgery where a young surgeon can start to leverage the skills they learned in acute care surgery training to help them develop an elective lit niche if something doesn't start falling into the lap? Well, I think the era of uh, minimally invasive surgery uh, is running a little behind in this country in acute care surgery and emergency surgery. Uh, I think that uh, there are uh, some minimally invasive techniques for the management of acute diverticulitis that uh, we should have uh, some basic uh, advanced surgical laparoscopic skills in acute care surgery to manage acute diverticulitis. I think that uh, we are still managing some patients with this specific disease process the way we managed them 30 years ago. But yet, uh, if someone comes in shot through their left colon, you know, seven out of eight times they're getting their colon primary anastomose versus, you know, seven, you know, maybe, you know, two-thirds of the time the patient is getting an end colostomy and a heart patch for perforated diverticulitis. Um, the patients are a different age and there are different comorbidities and a laundry list of other reasons why. Uh, but I think that if we are now studying emergency surgery in this patient population, we need to continue to advance the envelope, whether it's a surgical technique, whether it's a different approaches. Uh, we, we need to gather more information um, and you could, you know, I mentioned acute diverticulitis, but, uh, you know, every year uh, I see and read uh, a new article on acute cholecystitis. Uh, and the same thing for, you know, perforated ulcer, which, uh, at least in my mind, is making a comeback because nobody wants to buy their PPIs anymore, or at least not lifelong. So it's a disease process that we are having to re-educate people on how to manage surgically. So I, th I think there is opportunity. There's a lot of open opportunity. Okay. So we've talked about some common, uncommon niches. Let's talk about the resident or fellow who has no interest in elective surgical niche. They want to be a trauma surgeon, a acute care surgeon. So do you think that a niche is essential for an acute care surgeon to be successful? I, I think so, too. I mean, in... You know, you ask everybody with uh, gray hair or, in my case, very little hair, uh, how does elective surgery help you become a better trauma surgeon? If you talk to an older surgeon, you know that you need to learn uh, 
um, careful tissue handling. You need to learn appropriate amount of dissection, uh, tissue manipulation, um, advancing your efficiency, and that's how you increase speed by being efficient in your maneuvers and manipulation, knowing how to electively set up exposure and retraction. All of this stuff is done in the elective setting, and it's mastered in the elective setting. It is hard to master a specific procedure or technique when the patient is exsanguinating and dying, and then what you're just barely trying to do is control bleeding. Or if you have massive contamination and your patient is in septic shock, and what you're just trying to do is close a hole or take out the area that's dead, infected, or perforated. Um, so um, I do think that elective surgery uh, is an opportunity for the surgeon to continue to master their technique, master their tissue handling, their exposure, uh, their maneuvers, uh, the appropriate technique for the appropriate situation, whether or not you decide that you're going to staple or you're going to sew. And, and for the, in the academic setting, how are you going to teach? Uh, it is challenging enough to walk someone through a elective splenectomy, much less an emergency splenectomy. Especially if your fourth-year resident, this is their second splenectomy they've ever seen. And so under those circumstances, in the, with the patient's life uh, on the balance, you know, sometimes that's not a time to teach someone unless you know exactly how to describe and walk someone through that. Sure. Uh, so I, I do think that there is a lot of opportunity. Now, saying that your elective Procedures are the elective lap appy from the night before or the elective coli that you couldn't get on yesterday that's really now a centimeter and a half inflamed and, you know, all your procedures are partial cholecystectomies. I'm not sure that that is uh, such a great way to, to learn all the various techniques that you need to know. Right. I I agree with you. Heck, when I first started, I had a, a little elective general surgery practice for that reason, and it helped me a ton. I, I learned a lot of things you're talking about, and I obviously have a lot more to learn, but it was very helpful for me. I think you're absolutely right. Um, when applying for a job, however, do you, will these uh, graduating fellows, will they be expected to have a niche, or will they be given a couple years to develop a niche? What are the expectations when they're just getting out in the workforce? So I tell my fellows when they go out looking for a job is uh, you want to know in detail what you're getting into. What is the job description? Um, you probably want to know how many times you're going to be on call, how many times you're going to get to rotate in the ICU on trauma service and uh, emergency surgery. You're, you're going to want to know uh, who sees the patients back in clinic and what the local politics are. So in some places you may give some, you may be able to give your perforated sick diverticulitis patient a resection and colostomy, but you may not be allowed to do their colostomy takedown. Uh, so that that you know obviously is dependent on what the local politics in your environment are. And so typically your elective cases come from your other from your previous procedures whether it's the hernia that comes back a few months after your trauma laparotomy or, um, you know, your emergency surgery who needs a colostomy takedown or you saw somebody in the ER and you will have them come back to see you in clinic for an elective col colostectomy. Uh, 
uh, or you know somebody has referred you an iguana hernia from the emergency department because they like you and you're a nice guy or gal. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think that's how you start. Um, and uh, you kind of want to know whether or not you're going to be allowed an opportunity to have a little clinic or whether or not this is a group clinic and everybody's coming to trauma clinic and it's catch as catch can. Uh, so you do want to find out. Okay. <clears throat> so kind of on that same uh, uh, theme, so with the ACS model, I mean, it's kind of become a very shift work, and it's really convenient for all members of a practice to be quite interchangeable with the way it's designed. And having an elective surgical niche, I mean, it could add some stress to a typical ACS model, like you're saying, depending on the model. And the reason I'm asking this is I kind of experienced this when I considered having an elective niche for myself. And I'm sure others have experienced it too. So a few years after starting my job, I considered, you know, creating a more of an elective niche for myself, but no one in my department did it. And I actually ultimately decided not to do it because I thought it would cause too many problems. If I started this niche, I would either be forcing my partners to cover my niche patients when they were on call or, or be forcing me to cover a call my patients 24-7. And I was concerned that the former would be unfair to my partners and the later would make my wife angry. And I think it's important for a young surgeon who has senior partners to consider when they're starting a niche or maybe a young family. So the question I was kind of thinking about this situation was, do I need to have more people um, with the same niche in order to have a successful niche practice? I think it's a a question uh, that is important to ask when you walk in uh, to see whether or not the group does some elective cases. I mean, who's doing the colostomy takedown? I mean, nobody's doing colostomy takedowns. Uh, who's doing the ventral hernia, uh, hernias when the patient comes back a year later? You're sending those all away? Uh, or what about the patient who needs a skin graft uh, after an open abdomen and, and or, you know, an injury? Um, so I think that there are some niche-type elective surgery that you can do and limit it to maybe your patients. I think that that uh, is one option. I mean, if you want to do a limited or full breadth of general surgery, depending on how you want to define that, that's a different uh, question on how you're going to manage those patients and is it a group. And I do think that, uh, you know, under this scenario, no man is an island, and so you are going to need to get some help from your partners. And it probably is beneficial to have someone uh, else other than you do a little elective surgery so that way you can at least cover or at least you know, the group decides that as a group you will cover each other. So I think you right. do want to know that. Well, it sure sounds like, gosh, we learn stuff in residency, then we learn more de- uh, more specific stuff in fellowship, but even coming out, you got to have a big open mind and be willing to tackle all different kinds of things, even maybe areas you're not super comfortable with because things keep put in your lap, and those things put in your lap could kind of define your career. That sounds about exactly right? That's true. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, I, I do is uh, chest wall rib plating. Uh, and I did this before there were any systems involved and before uh, and there was uh, much literature that there was any benefit at all. And uh, some of this was due to some of the injury patterns we used to see uh, in Tennessee without, you know, people who like to, you know, drive pickup trucks without seatbelts ended up getting ejected and landing 
on guardrails or at the trees and all kind of stuff. And so, you know, just going through that and then the whole evolution of that particular injury pattern and then, you know, developing a level of expertise to, in an area where there is very little data uh, can be challenging. Right. <clears throat> well, I, uh, gosh, we've, I, I appreciate this, Dr. Diaz, a lot. We've talked about what our niche is, how you develop your niches, common and uncommon niches, and really how to develop a niche for yourself as a young surgeon coming in uh, out of fellowship. Is there anything else you think that our audience needs to hear about to understand an elective surgical niche? Well, though, I think the one thing you do want, uh, like anything else in medicine, you want a mentor. Uh, so it may be that you are just out of your fellowship training and you decided to, do you want the hernia patients, we'll use that as an example, uh, you are going to need a mentor to, to call to talk about these cases that may be not in your division. Uh, it may be in the general surgery division, maybe in the plastics, or maybe if, you know, we're talking about, uh, as, uh, you were specifically mentioning, Retain hemothoraces and, and, uh, thoracoscopic evacuation may need a mentor in, in thoracic surgery. Uh, so I think that as a young budding surgeon, you want to have a mentor to, uh, go over cases, uh, you know, review scans, discuss patient outcomes, because we're all going to have some complications. Or we want someone to help us develop some academic, uh, uh, studies, some, uh, review, the literature, uh, you know, kind of try to put uh, an understanding of why we do what we do. I think that's always important. I agree. I think that's an excellent point. <clears throat> well, that sounds great. Well, uh, on behalf of the East Career Development Committee, I really want to thank you, Dr. Diaz, for taking your time to speak to us today. Uh, again, my name is Rob Bain, and I hope you enjoyed this program and found it helpful. If you find a moment, I would encourage everyone to visit the EAST website at www.east.org for more EAST podcasts and other valuable information. So thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. Have a good day.